This conversation was fun and enlightening. I know Jeff pretty well, and it was obvious to me that he was giddy talking with Janet Godwin, the CEO of ACT, in this Leader Chat episode. Janet's perspective may surprise you. Her view on the need for change in education and how we consider assessment results was refreshing. As the producer of the show, I try to ensure that we keep our shows under a certain length of time. However, this was a difficult conversation to halt. These two passionate educational leaders could have talked for days. Enjoy. Well, good day. Welcome to Leader Chat. I am Jeff Rose, and for our Leadership Circle members who are watching this video, we know that you're going to enjoy this. And for those teachers, leaders that are listening to the podcast, we we also hope you appreciate the content. I will tell you that, um, and I, I know I sound like a broken record when I air these episodes, when we air these episodes, um, about my enthusiasm and excitement to have the kind of conversations that we do with these incredible educational rock stars. And today is actually um, really special because this topic, I think, is as pertinent as it gets. And uh, we are actually talking to somebody with incredible experience and perspective on the world of education, the needs of students, and creating a system and a structure to really support them. Today, we are talking with Janet Godwin, who is the CEO of ACT. So the CEO of ACT and every educator knows exactly what I'm referring to. She has been with ACT since 1990. She spent her first years in test development and research before moving on to roles in information technology and operations, including director of client engagement, assistant vice president, president of contract operations, vice president of operations, and chief of staff and chief accountability officer. She served as chief operating officer from 2014 until she was appointed interim CEO before being named CEO in November 2020. And here's a fun fact. She was elected to the Board of Education of the Iowa City Community School District in September 2017 and served until January 2022, which you know, gives her a really interesting perspective or you know, makes her uh, crazy one or the other. That's a joke. And um, she's the past board president of the Iowa City School uh, uh, District Foundation and former board member of Kirkwood Community College Foundation. So extremely invested, engaged, and passionate about our work with students, obviously locally, as well as throughout the country and beyond. So without further ado, I'd love to invite Janet to the screen. Janet, how are you? I'm very good, Jeff. How are you today? I'm good. And um, you're you're dealing with uh, weather that, you know, only makes my bones hurt hearing about, right? So um, hopefully you're, you know, staying warm because, you know, you're, you're in a different place than I am because I, I live in Atlanta. Well, it's cold in Iowa City, but I don't complain. You live in Iowa, you understand, and uh, it's all good. Oh, great. Well, you, you've, you've had this, I mean, I, I read just a piece, right, of your bio. In fact, um, I prepare for these conversations by doing some online stalking. You and I have had a chance to talk um, in, in the past. But, you know, I've been able to kind of really delve into more of what you've done beyond just that brief bio. So do you want to give us a little bit more background about, you know, kind of your trajectory or your narrative or maybe even your past and current motivation? Just maybe tell us more about you than I did in that short paragraph. No, it's wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. And thank you for the opportunity to um, today. So a little bit about me, um, you, you know, grew up in a family where education was always primary, but my mother didn't have a high school diploma. She married my dad in throes of World War II and, and uh, decided to get married at 17. And she had an amazing life, raising great kids, moving around the world, supporting my dad, an amazing mother. And after my dad passed away, she decided she needed to go back to school. But you know what? She didn't have a GED. She didn't have a high school diploma. So she had to first get a GED. And then the next thing that she needed to do was to get admitted to the University of Oklahoma where she wanted to go to college. And she took the ACT. And by <laughs> going through that experience at age 56, 
She got into the University of Oklahoma. She and I were freshmen together uh, at University of Oklahoma. She was Phi Beta Kappa. I was not. She graduated in three years. <laughs> but after her experience uh, getting her uh, degree in social work, she went and got a master's in social work and then went on to get a first job outside the home at age 60. And I share that story only because the value of the ACT for me has been something that I've seen throughout my entire life. It supported my mother, obviously, in her career trajectory. Um, my kids have benefited. And then, you know, from a personal perspective, uh, myself. Um, but then from a national level, seeing uh, and international level, seeing students um, be able to demonstrate what they've accomplished in high school and be able to show off those accomplishments in their post-secondary pathways for me that motivates me it's we're under a lot of transition in our educational system right now and i hope we get a chance to talk about some of that today but uh the act has been personal for me um and and it's it's and i hear the personal stories almost every single day when i talk to individual students or educators the difference uh that this organization has been able to make in, in, in individual lives and the trajectory uh and how they help uh, set those paths it's been very very powerful for me um i actually came to act to pay off a student loan um after graduate school i did not expect to roll through all those different roles that you just described um i feel like i've worked in every part of this organization uh, except for marketing not a marketing person i have an amazing marketing team um but uh through that journey throughout all different parts of the organization i've learned the business i've learned what we can do i've had the opportunity to work with amazing educators just from post-secondary four-year two-year k-12 at the federal state uh, district and, and local levels and i can tell you what there's never been more need for the kind of work we can do collectively as as leaders in the education system to really help grow learners. Uh, as Cognia says, creating opportunities for every learner, finding a way to create those pathways for success. Our, our nation needs it now more than ever. So I'm excited about the conversation today. I'm excited about the work that we're doing at ACT and the partnerships that we have with educators throughout the throughout the world. So I, I, had, I had read this article mention, mentioning, you know, some of the impact that that you sometimes experience, even from a student perspective, on what the ACT has done for them. I, I must say, I was completely unaware of your mom, your mother, and then she took it at 55, 56 years mm -hmm. old. Is that right? Yeah. That has to be extremely rare, or am I just not paying attention? That was pretty rare. My mom's experience, I think, was rare. But, you know, folks who do not get diplomas, uh, high school diplomas, they come back and decide they need additional education. This does create a pathway uh, for them to demonstrate their readiness uh, for themselves, to build confidence for themselves around going to college, uh, to give them the confidence that, my goodness, you know what, I've got those core academic skills and reading English, math, science, uh, so that when I step onto a college campus as a non-traditional student, I have what it takes to be successful. Um, and I think that's one of the things I, even in the in the in the environment where people are criticizing standardized tests and it's biased or it's unfair, or too much you know stakes and too much stress in the system. And we can talk about some of those factors, Jeff, because I think they're very relevant today. But I think one of the things that the ACT can do and does do is to help a learner understand where they are and to build confidence in what they've accomplished and to have confidence stepping onto a, a four-year college, a two-year college, or even taking a, a, a credentialing into a work pathway. You're, the ACT helps the learner demonstrate what they've learned so they can step forward with confidence about what they're going to learn next. And so it's not about shutting a door. It's not about preventing people from having access to whatever path they choose after high school. It's about giving learners the confidence based on what they've accomplished to be ready for success on their path after high school. So I, that, that's how I like to change the, the dialogue a little bit about standardized testing, especially uh, the ACT, which has been, I think, overly indexed on admissions. Okay, so uh, most of our conversation uh, is really going to be around this incredible time of transition that we're facing, we're experiencing, and definitely what's coming in education. Um, but before we, we jump into that, let's kind of start by setting a base because I make this assumption all the time because I'm an educator, um, as are you, and I make assumptions on what people know um, and what they don't know. So maybe let's just create a 
quick base and tell us just the, the snapshot uh sounds like a silly question about about the act like some of the really your organization um and then the second part of the question is maybe dispel some of the myths yeah. that some of the the incorrect narratives specific to the act and the work that you do as an organization does does that make sense in terms of a question makes total sense so okay, first great. the foundation the baseline of who we are so founded in 1959 honestly as an alternative to uh the sat which was very aligned with uh, at the time sort of elite institutions and trying to select students uh for those elite institutions and my my founder the founder of act felt like that was very limiting and that we were leaving too many people out of the educational system and that a college pathway did really yield uh, better earnings better jobs better job satisfaction and so we were formed to be opening pathways by aligning our assessment to what was being taught in high school, the, the academic skills valued uh, for success at a, at a post-secondary institution. And so we, we were designed to be an achievement test, not an aptitude test. And so that's really important for people to understand we're based on what people have learned. Uh, it's not some innate characteristic or trait that a human has. It's what you've learned, what you've been exposed to, what you can demonstrate uh, from an achievement standpoint. Um, and so so I think that's interesting for people to understand about the ACT. Um, and so you know, we've, we've been in the business of helping learners find a path to success in their college careers for, for 59 years. We have, have, have um, moved beyond that though. And these are some of the things that folks don't always readily think about um, ACT as an organization. Since the early nineties, we've been supporting learners uh, through work readiness uh, credentials. So working with employers and workforce development agencies and chambers of commerce and, and K-12 and post-secondary institutions to be able to you know, work to define the skills necessary for the employers in a region and then to help create an alignment between post-secondary and K-12 to ensure that the skills are being developed through their educational programs so that students can then move into the, um, the work that is available in their region. And so amazing success stories in our workforce development arena. Um, and so that's something that that again, I'm not a marketer, I'm not a great job of, of telling our story there and I will be getting better at that. But um, it, th I share that because it's incredibly important. Only about 60% on average uh, across the nation, 60% of students are choosing a college pathway after high school. Some states, it's 40% of students are choosing a college pathway. So what are we doing with the other heavy, heavy numbers of students who are not going to a four-year college. They may be choosing a community college pathway. They may be choosing, you know, credentials or certificates to enter the workforce. And so uh, I want to make sure that ACT is serving all learners um, and helping them in high school understand what they're interested in, what's a viable good path for them um, based on what they're interested in, what's a career that might be interesting, then what kinds of experiences do they need in high school and, and from a post-secondary experience to set them up for success in that career path. And we want to be able to highlight multiple paths, not just paths to elite schools, but paths to all kinds of post-secondary learning opportunities to help set up a learner for success. And I think that's very, very relevant in our nation today. Um, and, and I think that's something that people don't really understand about ACT. And so some myths, uh, a little bit of myth busting. Um, you don't have to have a 36 on the ACT to, to get a scholarship <laughs> in college. Uh, there are states uh, where they administer the ACT at a state level where if a student achieves a 21, the state will pay a student's four-year tuition at a state school. Um, that's outstanding. Um, another myth, you know, there's only about 20% of our higher education institutions, four-year schools that are highly selective, that, that are looking for GPA and a test score to help them, along with essays and other things from an admissions perspective. Um, and so for that other 80% of colleges out there, folks, they want to bring you onto the campus. They want to serve you as a learner. And so the myth busting is that the ACT is not a barrier to entry. It's just more information, one, from a student to be able to have confidence in the preparation, but two, for an institution to be better able to serve the student. I think it's the, the, the dialogue really for me needs to evolve from admissions. It's more about readiness, readiness from the student's perspective, 
readiness from the institution's perspective to best serve the student. Um, and it, ch it just changes the language completely. You know, your marketing department um, will be proud of you. So you say I'm not in the market, but your your narrative from starting with your mother to obviously your incredible experience at ACT to your description of what it is, uh, what it's becoming, especially even to breaking down some of the misunderstandings. It's I, th I think I think they'll be happy. They'll, they'll they're probably applauding right now. <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about this this you know kind of transition in education a little bit. I mean, I my listeners will roll their eyes when they hear this because they heard me say it before. I left the seat of the superintendent, um, the superintendent seat before COVID. Um, just before COVID, I, I did not have a premonition. I did not know. But there's this, I used to think the work was hard and challenging. And uh, there's this pre and then there's this during and there's this kind of post-COVID reality um, that while it is scary and daunting, it is also potentially rich with opportunity, but it is really pushing uh, for us to consider pivots and changes and so forth. School districts are not the only ones facing this. Uh, and so mm -hmm. I thought, how about you describe to us what it's been like for your organization to kind of go through that and also try to create vision for the future that is so, um, you know, hard to determine. What's yeah, that been like for you? Oh, it's been a few years, I'll just say. I'm moving <laughs> into my uh third year of leading the organization i stepped into the interim ceo role of uh, may 2020 right in the thick of school closures this heavy pivot to test optional um that that colleges went to which i supported and continue to um we were facing some pretty significant financial uh, headwinds uh just given all the school closures we weren't able to operate uh, on our national Saturday testing or our school day testing. And so uh, we, um, we had to do a bit of, you know, crisis management, uh, really riding the ship in that first year um, and, and, and doubling down on, on our priorities. And our priorities were one, taking care of our team members. That was the first thing we needed to pay attention to because honestly, everyone was traumatized, every single person in our country, whatever role you're in, whatever state, county, wherever, everyone is feeling trauma and crisis. And so my goal was to take care of our team members and then make sure that we were serving our stakeholders as best as we possibly could. And, and in that environment, we had educators coming. We have a very big presence in state and district um, assessment uh, across the country. And we heard from state superintendents, district superintendents, educators saying, we need your help ACT because our students are, their learning is disrupted, whether they had gone all online and many schools just shut down in the spring of 2020, um, hybrid learning, I mean, you know, opening and then closing because of COVID. And I mean, highly, highly disrupted. Um, and educators were, were worried, I think rightfully, about how are my students learning? Where is it working? Where is it not working? Um, and, and, and where are students? And I think that's something that we found very, very quickly that the value of the kinds of uh, achievement um, programs that we have, pre-ACT, ACT, was, was helpful for educators to gauge where are my students in the middle of the crisis and then importantly coming out when schools, you know, being back in person and resuming. And, and you know, ACT's research is, is suggested, has as many other organizations, that there was significant opportunity loss from a learning perspective during those those years and educators needed some objective information to help gauge where are my learners and then more importantly what do i do about that what kind of programs do i need to put in place what kinds of supports do i need to put in place for my educators for my teachers who are also traumatized throughout all of this super hard work usually but made harder during the pandemic and 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 and, and our data was able to help tell a story of where are we today, what are the actions and interventions we can take, and what supports can we put into our educational environment to help students um, get back on track. And, and I will say, you know, educational achievement, core, academic achievement was important, but I will also say sort of the social, emotional, durable skills has been a very big factor as well. Um, has always been important, but I think COVID really stressed us all to the extreme. and making sure to pay attention to that 
dimension of educators and learners has been also very, very important. Um, this, the uh, emotional health and well-being, and and ACT has also some tools in that space that can help um, uh, districts and, and states, you know, at least have some objective information to gauge where students are and how best to, to help us to support them. Um, so that's a little bit of how we navigated. Um, really doubled down, tried to provide as many flexible options for states and districts. Done a lot of research on the impacts of the of potential learning loss. A lot of research um, on SEL and, and emotional emotional well being. A lot of research at ACT too on grade inflation. We saw, you know, we we're, because we're able to do long longitudinal studies. Um, we're very lucky that way to have that kind of longitudinal data set. We'd seen inclines in, in grade inflation, but it really spiked during the COVID years. Um, so that while objective measures of academic readiness were going down, grades were going up, and it sent a very confusing message to educators and families. Um, and so, uh, you know, we we just will constantly try to bring our research um, expertise to bear to inform the dialogue at the national level, state, district level, um, but also to help with interventions. What do we need to do to, to change any trajectories that need to change? So um, I will say one last thing, Jeff, you know, never waste a good crisis. Um, we took the opportunity to uh, double down on what's core for ACT during that time as well. Um, prior to COVID, we'd been experimenting and different parts of, you know, supporting educators and more curriculum and learning and earlier grades. And that's all important and good, necessary. Um, we weren't just the best, we weren't the best organization to do some of those things. And so we took the opportunity through COVID to really double down who we are, where we can have the biggest impact, um, making sure we are taking care of our team members and, 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 and building upon our culture. Um, to support learners and educators. And so we really had really refocused in our efforts on supporting folks from that transition from junior high to high school. And then that, that really important transition from high school into post-secondary. And so that kind of focus has been incredibly helpful for the organization. Um, it lets us uh, make sure our resources are aligned properly. It just, it just clarifies our message. Um, and so we've done a lot of that sort of work the last couple of years is just to, to really, really focus in on what we're best at and, and partner with others who are better at other parts of the educational system. So that's been part of our journey the last three years as well. Well, I, I'm in trouble right now because I, I need to figure out exactly what question comes next. And I'm, I'm jotting down questions as you're talking because I think that some listeners or, or some people watching you know, us, us talk here would maybe be su surprised by your statement earlier that um, while colleges are going to test optional, you're fully supportive of that, right? I think that people think, wait, wait a minute, you're ACT, why would that be the case? In the meantime, you also are talking about things other than just academic, social, emotional needs of students, which we know right now are rampant and so forth. And yeah, so... I'm curious when we talk about transformation, because that's actually what's very clear on your website, that you are working towards leading a transformation, um, which is a really big word, right? As it relates to how you do your work, aligned to the needs of students, which some people would say, wait a minute, that's, that's the college test. What's she talking about as it relates to how we assess students specific to the world of work, their local community, how we give feedback based upon their interests and who they are. Um, talk to us more about this, how you are looking at transformation on something that some people would automatically assume is static. And it's yeah. clearly not. It's, it's not static and um, we are not, nor should we go back to how we are doing things before the pandemic. Um, I've had so many reporters amen, ask me. by the way. Amen. So, okay, move on. <laughs> High fives and, and amen. Yes. But um, I've had so many reporters call and, and do interviews saying, oh, my gosh, is this existential for ACT test option? Oh, my gosh, you're going to go out of business. And I'm like, no, we're not. And this is a good thing. Um, test optional takes the high stakes out of something that in most cases should not be high stakes. I mentioned 80% of our colleges are admitting 85 to 90% of their applicants. And, and so we, we don't need, stu students should not have to feel this immense pressure in high school to take 
I'm exaggerating, 86 AP classes and to get a, a 36 on the ACT and take it 10 times, they should not feel that. That kind of stress and anxiety is not proper in my mind. You're not gonna get students best performance when they're feeling that level of anxiety. I think educators are probably going to feel that same kind of stress. I think we need to take this, we should take the undue anxiety out of that process for students to figure out and get ready for their college experience. Um, there are gonna be these elite schools, of course, that's highly competitive. You've got 60,000 applicants for 1200 spots. I get it. That is not the norm. That is a, a small, small percentage of colleges like that in our, in, our, in our nation. And we just need to not treat everyone like they're gonna have that experience. So work with students, have fun. And, I, and I understand this is tough too, because of you know, counsel, there's just not enough school counselors to go around. There's, there's so much pressure put on school counselors to advise and support. And I think if there's something else you'll see ACT advocating on strongly is how to bring more supports for school counselors. Um, and we're actually trying to build some programs to, to pr bring some, some, some more supports to school counselors. But um, it's, 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 it's taking some of the stress. There was an article in the LA Times just this morning when students were talking about how stressful it is in this you know, college admissions. I wanna talk about post-secondary readiness to be successful on your path after high school. That means having good, we all know you need to have a good baseline of core academic skills to be successful in whatever you do, math, reading, writing, communication skills. And those core academic skills funnel into readiness for work as well. You, you've got to be able to do math. You've got to be able to, to read and communicate effectively uh, on any job. Um, and then those durable skills, the conscientiousness, empathy, being able to collaborate and problem solve, um, those are all just so incredibly important for success after high school. And so um, we need to focus on how to develop the mindset around developing those skills and attributes, behaviors uh, in students in high school so they can be successful on their paths after high school and set them up so that it's not so darn stressful and, anx and anxiety. If they have that much anxiety in education, they're not gonna wanna be lifelong learners. They're not gonna wanna continue to engage in education. Um, it'll be just a, a compliance thing. And, and that's not the mindset I don't think that we want uh, our learners to feel. So I embrace test optional. I think it's the right thing to do. And I think we need to even go beyond that and, 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 and use that as a way to transform even how colleges think about their missions, um, is a degree, four-year degree always required for whatever career path a student is choosing, um, you know, different credentialing certification programs uh, may be better. And I think we just need to adopt the mindset that success is not just one path. It's not just an elite four-year school. That's, that's one path. There are so many other strong viable paths and I wanna make sure that ACT is supporting all of those and in partnership with so many other educators and, and organizations that, that feel that. And the one last thing I told you, Jeff, that I would ramble a little bit, um, but uh, I will also say super, super focused on learners who have and, and are continuing to face some systemic barriers, whether it's from an income perspective, a racial perspective, gender perspective, um, sexual orientation, whatever it may be, accessibility, needing accommodations. We need to make sure that we're um, helping all of those learners uh, have opportunities and access to opportunities that will help them be successful in their post-secondary journey. And um, we talk about that a lot at ACT. Equity and access is really part of our core mission. And um, we will not be doing our jobs if we're only serving you know, a subset of our student population. So, Janet, you are not rambling in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I think that I would imagine that every time you stand up and uh, and talk in front of an audience or are in a meeting with people unfamiliar with the nuance of your organization, they're surprised. I mean, surprised by the fact that you'd say this test optional, but by kind of the the overall breadth of the focus of what you're trying to lean in on, not just academic achievement. Right, mm -hmm. and I, I think I, I would imagine people who think, "Oh my goodness, this is the, this is CEO of ACT saying these things." Like, so this is this is not rambling. And you brought up a couple of really interesting um, topics. Um, number one, when I was um, in Beaverton as the superintendent, we were kind of in the shadow of Nike, mm -hmm. 
So mm -hmm. we did all of this incredible work with Nike. And I learned a lot of things from their leadership and their overall structure. And one was um, they would, you know, launch these incredible products. But Nike was also famous, and they would tell us this for if something wasn't working, even after years of effort, they would just chop it off and move on. They would say, wait a minute, we got out of our lane a little bit with mm -hmm. the right intentions, and this is not right. You remember those bands that Nike was producing, which was supposed to track exercise and so forth? They really pushed that for a while, and then they realized, wait, we're not a tech company. This is, no, this is not us. And overnight said, we're not doing that anymore. And yeah. let's go back to the core of what we are, which I think is really hard for education to sometimes do because we want to be so comprehensive. But I heard you say earlier that you decided at one point, let's kind of double down on what we are as opposed to let's, let's realize these are the things that we're not actually not set up to do as well as something else. Can you talk to us about that theme? Because I think educational leaders need to hear that right now. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So I'd mentioned pre-COVID, we had had a whole strategic agenda around bringing adaptive learning technologies into elementary school. Uh, and and tr over time, trying to link those more formative classroom-based experiences up to some of the, the college and career readiness benchmarks that we've been implementing and using and measuring uh, students' uh, achievement uh, on for many, many, many years. But you know, and it was interesting, right? You know, adaptive learning, it's wonderful new technology. And, and we had set up a whole research innovation team around that and did a lot of acquisitions in that space um, because we felt, and I, the intention was good. And to your point, Jeff, I mean, our intentions were good, right? All we do is start interacting with students in 11th grade and starting the conversation of post-secondary preparation and readiness, then we're probably starting too late, right? We need to start having those conversations with students earlier. Um, and, and educators do. And, and so ACT wanted to be able to move down into earlier grades with very different uh, kinds of tools and programs and services. And so, um, you know, and we were nascent in our, in our work there. Uh, and it was a bit, I'll say, an uphill battle for us. You mentioned Nike wasn't known for technology. ACT wasn't known for technology in a, in a you know, an AI, ML sort of space, nor were we strong at working in elementary schools. Um, we didn't have the relationships. We didn't have the team that had um, come up through the ranks, if you will, of working in elementary schools with elementary school st students and understanding the needs in that environment. And and so it was a it was a hard sell for us to be able to create kinds of products that were not in our sweet spot, operating in, in part of the educational system that we literally didn't have any experience in. And, and, and we just needed to, and, and again, don't waste a good crisis with COVID and, and all those pressures. We just had to go back to what we were known for, and that's college and career readiness, that transition from high school to post-secondary. We've got decades of research in that. I've got amazing, talented leaders all around the organization who've made that their career. Most of most of ACT's talent has started in a classroom or a school district, and we hire folks who have those personal experiences um, and are, are dedicated educators, um, but really at that high school and post-secondary space, not elementary school. So we just, we weren't going to have the impact that we wanted to have. We had to be realistic with ourselves about where we could really have the biggest impact. And so, you know, popular or unpopular, I made the decision very early on to just move out of that early grade adaptive learning and really double down on where we've got the expertise, the culture and the, and the talent to, to really have the biggest impact. I mean, that's all, that's what we want to do. We want to have the biggest impact that we can um, and, and no organization can do it all. So that's, that, that was, that was, was it painful? It was actually a pretty easy decision in my, for me, it was a very easy choice to make. It was painful for some folks who had put, put a lot of time and energy into those initiatives. But um, you have to know when to cut your losses. I mean, there's, you know, sunk costs or sunk costs, but just because you've invested, you know, millions or years in something doesn't mean you should keep chasing that. Uh, if it's not working, if it's not true to you, if it's not going to work, you, no more, don't worry about sunk costs, make the decision to change and, and move on. So you got to be strong. You got to have courage. You got to have conviction and you have to know 
yourself and where you're going to have the biggest impact. So I want, I, I, I I'll, I'll figure out a way to push our members and leaders to definitely kind of rewind and listen to that, that it's really important to remember kind of who you are and sometimes cut your losses rather than, well, we've been working on this, let's continue to move on. If, if it's not right or if it's not working or it's not connecting, you go back to who you are and you move forward. And yeah. so I think that's important. It's really hard for educational systems to sometimes do because mm -hmm. they want to be everything to everyone. So I think mm -hmm. that's just a really important lesson for leaders to hear. And another topic I heard you say, I, I'm on a recent soapbox that leaders, especially right now, are navigating this day-to-day, -day what this has been called the tyranny of the urgent. I call it sometimes just trying to get through Tuesday. And so yeah. there's so many problems and challenges coming fast and furiously at leaders that success sometimes is about, let's make it through the day as successful as you can, and then eventually it'll be Friday, and then we'll start again next week. It's not their fault. It's just so challenging. In the meantime, leaders were actually often hired to be visionaries. So how can a person look to the horizon when they feel like they're underwater? Wow. So that being the case, um, or at least if, if you were to potentially agree with that, what are, if we try to help leaders look around the corner or read the tea leaves a little bit, look to the horizon, what are some of the things that you see coming or you think about may potentially come that we should be paying attention to in education, whether it be your organization, the ACT, superintendents, state departments, even principals. Let's help them a little bit, look to the horizon. What are you seeing and thinking about? Yeah, oh, there's a number of things. Uh, it's such a great question. And it's so hard to carve out that time to, to look around the corner, as you said, and that's why this program that you have, Jeff, is so amazing. But some things I see coming, um, uh, what we talked about, you know, so many students are leaving high school now, not choosing a college path. And so I think, um, especially in the K-12 environment, acknowledging that and, and ensuring there's programs uh, within your school districts that support students on those multiple pathways and doing it in a way that is not, um, I'm trying to think of the right word, you know, tracking or whatever. It's like, oh, you're going to go the the CTE path because you're not going to get a 36 on the ACT and you shouldn't. It's not that mindset. It's the mindset of what people have interest in, what they want to do, and valuing the multiple pathways and creating a respectful, you know, uh, you know, asset-based approach to the multiple pathways after high school. So you get out of this, you know, this sounds terrible, but the smart kids and the other kids, it's, t it's terrible. So that's, I think the reality is, um, that is very much the reality. It's the economy that we work in. Um, we've got to prepare students for work and participating meaningfully and viably in our economy. That also means, you know, developing our learners so they can participate meaningfully and viably in our democracy. And that and that we just need to make sure that the skills that we're, we're developing in that mindset are broad enough and, and not just narrowly focused on, you know, sending kids to college. And, 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 and I, I, I double down on that because that's so associated with the mindset around ACT. So that's one thing I think that's just the reality. Kids aren't going to college and we need to make sure whether it's through CTE programs or dual enrollment programs, your local community colleges, uh, you know, career academies in your high schools. I've seen so many different versions that have been highly successful to respectfully create the value proposition of those multiple pathways in high school, I think is really important. We talked, you know, there's a ton, 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 chat, GP, chat GPT-4 just dropped. Yeah. <laughs> we, you know, AI is a buzz everywhere. Everyone wants to talk about it. Um, I was just asked at an international forum on ed future of education, oh, chat GPT and AI is like, we're not gonna have to learn how to write anymore, right? because we've got all these wonderful algorithms that can write a better paragraph than I can. Uh, and my response to the panel was, we have to be smarter than the algorithms. And so what that means is for me, yes, we need to learn how to read. Yes, we need to know how to write. We need to be able to produce independently uh, 
using and leveraging the tools that, that amazing technology brings us, but we can't abdicate our responsibility to an algorithm because these algorithms are only as good as the data around them. And think about it, if there's inherent biases in terms of the data that an algorithm is, 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 is using to generate predictive you know, analytics and, and predicting what's the right response in a given context, they're going to get it wrong from a from a from an inclusive standpoint because of the narrow data set that they're working on. Um, the algorithms may get it wrong sometimes. Probabilist, probabilistically, this may be the right answer just based on you know huge amounts of data that they've been parsing. But however, in a unique situation, that may be the wrong answer. So as 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 critically thinking adults and learners, we need to be able to understand the context. We need to be, be able to understand the data on which these algorithms are making predictions so that we can question those assumptions. And we need to be able to be, you know, using the algorithms instead of being led by the algorithms. That's my, my humble opinion. Um, I do think we're going to have to unpack how to leverage these tools in an educational setting, but not to abdicate to these tools. We still need to teach these critical thinking. It's going to be even more important as we go forward, I think. Um, uh, and so, and then I th also think, um, you know, if you've got uh, college administrators on the call or who will listen to this, I mean, I think college leaders need to rethink the value proposition of higher education. Um, honestly, I think, um, you know, uh, it, it, the ROI, affordability, you know, year all these things, I, I think there's truth there that we need to find ways of, of allowing students to and I don't know how you do this economically, and I understand there's millions millions of reasons why it's hard to do this, but we we need to not have it be so one size fits all. You go get a college degree and know you're going to be great. I mean, there's there's a value proposition. College needs to make sure that the experiences, the credentials that you are using and, and getting in that experience are actually setting you up for success in, in the work. I would love for the Forbes rankings of, of, of educators <laughs> to go away or to change the metrics they're using. It shouldn't be using your SAT scores to judge the value of, and quality of an educational institution. You should be judging like uh, job attainment or um, you know, employer viability in a region based on the skills that a college is developing and economic development metrics. And there's a whole host of other things that I think would be much better metrics of a, of an edge of a college's quality. We shouldn't be using test scores for that. It's just nonsense. Anyway. Well, you, you don't think we should be assessing schools by going on to Zillow? And, uh, and yeah. uh, so uh, you, the dilemma is, I don't know what you're trying to do to me here, Janet, by bringing up these topics and it feels like you're trying to keep me all day or us in this conversation. When you bring up, say, um, the impact of, of AI, that is this um, really interesting, significant topic. I mean, it, and and you're right. We don't we don't even know the implications yet. We don't. In some ways, we don't even know what we're doing to ourselves, right? So it's almost this really interesting experiment that's happening to us about us right in front of us. Uh -huh. And so that's gonna be interesting in the meantime, if we don't start to pay attention on how to embrace and use some of what's coming wisely and push critical thinking more than ever, Go we're right. gonna miss something because there once was a time when we were questioning using the calculator and whether that was appropriate, whether students should be able to Right, that's not as much of a discussion anymore. And math, by the way, is still important. Um, there's a, I mean, there will be this unfolding, but that doesn't mean we don't change practices or we don't figure out how to embrace and how to use. I mean, this is, I mean, it's why things are going to change quickly and we better be really, really nimble. So that's, that's one really interesting topic and there's, there, Anyway, we could go on and on, but I will ask you these things. Um, I want to talk to you. Um, you've heard these rapid fire questions. I don't want to do rapid fire questions, but I want to think about if, you know, if we were to be on an elevator, we were to go up and then we were to go down. I'm going to have two questions. There's the, there's the up question and there's the down question. So um, if we were to, um, you know, figure out, if we were to be going up on the elevator, what would I? What would you say to educational leaders right now, specific to 
how they um, stay nimble at a time that there is going to be such complexity and opportunity. Um, you're doing that right now. Um, we're hearing about actually how you're doing that. What, what advice for leaders do you have on how to be nimble during this time? Um, and, and then maybe include too, um, well, let's just stay there and then I'll ask the next one next. So how to remain nimble. I think one is to not just, we talked about earlier, don't always feel like what we've done in the past is the right path. It, might, it was probably the right path in the context previously, but keep an open mind, be curious, um, uh, ask questions, um, and 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 I guess you know, nimbleness is hard because that means also kind of being able to pivot and move quickly. And I understand it's hard sometimes for educators who are dealing with the minutes, the days, and and the the stuff in front of them right now. The the urgent, um, but you know, keep an open mind and try to try to create some energy and space and partners and colleagues to just talk about. Let's play this out. What does AI mean in the classroom? You know, just think it through and just give yourself some time um, to, to to actually think it through and not form opinions too quickly. Um, keep an open mind. Be curious, um, and uh, and so that's I think. The thing I would say about being nimble, mostly it's just about being curious and and, and accepting um, that change is going to happen. And so rather than change being done to you, um, think through the kind of change you would like to see happen. And it's it's also, you even mentioned that it's not just one entity needs to change. I mean, I, I would agree. You, you, you brought up higher ed. We could talk about that all day because we do need to think about that. Sometimes, as you know, higher ed sometimes feels it's not it sometimes feels like the, the tail that wags the dog, mm -hmm. right? And the ultimate goal, I wish my daughter would have called you uh, a year and a half ago when she was applying for colleges, but uh, the ultimate goal is actually not to help kids become successful in school, right? It's that they're successful when they leave us. That's right. That's and exactly. we, some, we, we sometimes forget that the goal is not getting into college, the goal is what we receive there as it relates to how it prepares students for their future versus our past. And as you know, a lot of the higher ed institutions are also like K-12, stuck in this kind of past paradigm and model that doesn't necessarily translate to what the future economy is asking or demanding or sometimes even being angry at us for. That's right. Let's, let's all be flexible and nimble, right? And so I think that you're modeling that really well. So the, the one question we ask all of our guests, that is the final question. Um, most of our strategy in the leadership circle is bringing leaders around the table. We say circles are better than rows. This is really the one thing we do to provide accessible, pragmatic content is through these leader chats. But if you and I were to pretend we're not talking at, we're talking with, and we're around a table. And on the other side of the table is superintendents, assistant superintendents, principals, educational leaders. What would you want to leave them with? What would be kind of your last, you know, drop the mic. This is what I want you to think about. This is my final piece of advice based upon my perch, right? And we all have different, you know, mm -hmm. I'm on a balcony as opposed to the dance floor these days, as Heifetz would describe. Based on what you see, what is your kind of, lasting advice you'd want to give them. It's so good. And I'll continue to riff on that. You're on the balcony, not on the dance floor, but that is still one building. It's still one experience. You're just experiencing it from different perspectives. And I think we were hitting on it a little bit ago. I think leadership in, in this education and workforce development area has got to have a systemic perspective. We will not, as a nation, develop the learners that we need to sustain our nation if we are not systemically working with uh, government, federal, state, district, uh, higher education institutions, K-12 institutions, workforce development. We cannot have these state silos of here's Department of Labor, here's Department of Ed, here's workforce development. These silos need to be broken down to create a systemic view of how we develop learners to sustain our nation. And, and so it's, it, that's hard work, but from a leadership perspective, 
we have to think that more macro systems view. If all we do is focus on our niche and our silo in that broader system, we will not have the kind of impacts that we all wanna have at the individual learner level, at our school level, at our district level, at our state level, at our national level. And, and that's, it's the hardest thing to do, but it's the most important thing to do is to create that systems view and find ways to have humility uh, and compassion and conviction that by partnering, by working together with that systems view, we'll, we'll make a better nation uh, one student at a time. But it, it, that I think is the leadership challenge in front of us right now is to get out of our, get out of our silos, work with humility and compassion and, and think about the work that we do is, is really building our nation. Um, this, this conversation has really, really helped me. It's, 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 I mean, you're very, very uh, motivating, not just as you, as you describe some of your work, but your perspective on education, where we've been, where we are, and specifically where we're going. Um, truly an innovative thinker. I'm, I'm so thankful for this time, Janet, and I'm really excited that you're at the helm there at ACT. Uh, and I, I know I'm probably not alone in that thought, so um, my compliments to you. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. This was so much fun. And uh, I, I love my job. I can unabashedly say that as hard as it has been and can be, the, the vision of what we can all accomplish together is what gets me up every day. And this is just another sections where uh, organizations can work together to have a bigger impact, Jeff. So it's cool. Thank you for what you're doing and, and thank you for your leadership. Oh, by all means. We'll have a wonderful day, and uh, we'll be we'll be in touch, of course. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. I, um, I I it was really hard for me to stop. Um, so many threads I'm writing down, and she's talking. I just wanted to continue to go with, but I, of course I would want to honor her time and not keep her for eight hours, but I could. I could. Um, unbelievable discussion, unbelievable content, and um, I I. I assume that you really, really admire Janet's perspective and advice for us. So educators, teachers, leaders, ladies and gentlemen, be well.